Hello, everyone. It's me, Allison. The show is about to start, but just real fast, a quick reminder. I want to tell you guys, um, if you are doing some shopping, perhaps some Black Friday shopping, holiday shopping, etc. Like Christmas type uh, shopping? Christmas type, any sort of shopping at all. I have put together some lists on Amazon. Lists with things stuff. on them? Daniel, just... <laughs> Pipe down for one second. <laughs> Beauty stuff, makeup stuff, home stuff, kids stuff, podcast equipment, books I recommend, all of this stuff. And Daniel's dun, stuff? Dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah. Daniel's Corner, where I put stuff that I know that he likes. But Daniel has recently gotten way more involved, oh, yeah. and he oh, put yeah. together a special Christmas spectacular gift guide for you. You guys will not even believe it. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what's on there, but it's literally uh, some things. Lots of things. And well, a whole big stuff. caption explaining if his you process. you know someone who's exactly like me, they are going to love it. And here's where you go to see all of this. Amazon.com slash shop slash Allison Rosen. Amazon.com slash shop slash Allison Rosen. And we'll be adding to it. It's nonstop, you guys. Yeah. Okay, here's the show. Bye. You guys, I lied. I said the show was starting right now, but I have one more quick announcement. I'm co-hosting a new podcast. It's brand new. It's called Upworthy Weekly. I'm co-hosting it with a guy named Todd Perry, who I'm having so much fun with, although he is wrong about so many things, especially Christmas music, but also other stuff. But anyway, uh, Upworthy Weekly, we come out on Saturdays. Please give it a listen. Subscribe. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a comment, a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps out the show so much, especially because we are brand new. As I've said, between one and four times right now, I've lost track. But anyway, please give it a listen. Uh, it's a lighthearted news podcast. We're taking a look at the most popular and engaging stories from the week before that ran on Upworthy. And it's uh, it's just what your holidays need. And then when the holiday, when we're past the holidays, it's just what that part of the year needs. It's just exactly what you need. Please listen to it. Upworthy Weekly, new episodes every Saturday, wherever you get your podcasts. Allison Rosen, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison, with perfect good times never end. Allison Rosen, do it way because you dance again. Allison Rosen, Allison's your new best Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm very excited to welcome back to the show my guest in a moment. But first, I must check in with Tony Thaxton, aka self-professed bad boy of podcasting. Hello, Tony. Hello. Um, yeah, as, you, as you've noticed, I'm in a, in a different room than normal today. Yeah. What's going on? Uh, I just I have a a friend staying with me for a couple of days from out of town, and uh, he is currently in the other room. And I'm realizing, like, I'm, you know, I'm sure he can hear me, and this goes out to the world. But suddenly, I'm very paranoid of everything I'm saying. <laughs> I was going to say, is it making you self conscious? <laughs> it definitely is. This is the first time we've done an episode where someone else has been in the in the apartment. So well, it's weird. What kind of person is he? Is he judgmental? Does he enjoy no, good content? He does. That's all he talks about. <laughs> content. <laughs> yeah, Specifically mine. Good, my good content. Yes. Just good content in general. 
Is this one of your no good specific? Specific? Just he's like, oh, I love good content. <laughs> you put it out if it's good. Is this a no good music friend? <laughs> I mean, part of that is correct. Yes, he's a he's a musician friend of mine. When I've uh, left town uh, in the past to go do some some wedding gigs in Boston, yeah, he uh, he's the person that helps me out with those. So he comes out nice. here a lot. And he's nice. staying here for a couple of days. Well, I hope he enjoys this good content. I hope so. Yes, I think he, I think it's no question, no question he'll love it. So. I have to tell you, Tony, and then we're bringing in the guest. Earlier today, I recorded an episode of Upworthy Weekly, my other podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and my co my newish podcast, and my co-host has <laughs> dubbed himself the king of good news. Okay. And I was like, I have to tell you, I've been through this when someone gives himself a nickname, and I can't <laughs> gently and maturely adjust to it. I will have to bring up the fact that you gave yourself this nickname, so... I mean, you know, to be fair, I, I, it was a, com- it was more of a comment that I made, and then you've really, ra- I, a sarcastic comment that I made, and then you've really ran with it. Yes, but you still gave yourself a sarcastic comment <laughs> that involved a nickname that you gave yourself. Yeah, sure. Winkingly, that's, that's sure. Look but, at it. All right. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right, bad boy. Please welcome to the show comedian, writer, activist, co-creator, and head writer of The Daily Show, co-founder of Air America, which I believe launched the career of one Rachel Maddow, founder of Abortion Access Front, and host of the new talk show Feminist Buzzkills, also uh, author of the book Liz Free or Die. Please put your hands together for Liz Winstead. Hello. Hello. It's so exciting to see you again. You haven't aged a bit, my dear. You're too kind. I have, though. I'm a whole different person now. How are you? (laughs) I'm okay. I'm just, you know, trying to deal in these crazy times that seem to never be unendingly oppressive. Yeah, I was thinking I was thinking about how much things have changed since 2013. Um, And back then you were trying to champion a semi-joking movement of giving blowjobs to loners. Do you remember? I do. I just felt like it might stop the incel movement, but I don't have enough, I think, jaw strength to stop a horrible <laughs> movement from happening single-handedly. And I could not get a lot of people to join me. There was yeah. like a couple stragglers, a couple grifters. <laughs> A couple people of people like, who just fucking love blowjobs. Yeah, and that was just not enough. And and sadly, I failed America. Um, but the idea behind giving blowjobs to loners was there's this movement. You called it, you know, the incel movement. So there's this movement of uh, discontented, angry people, and that if we just give them some love, it might be able to quell this sort of uh, burgeoning movement and now eight years later almost nine years later um i am having trouble doing math on the fly but like how how do you is it a lot worse now am i forgetting Mm. how bad it was then yeah it's a lot it was pretty bad then but it's a lot worse now uh Mm. you know they had a whole entire uh you know they had a whole leader for four years (laughs) i'm sure i don't know Flaming their rage, a president of the United States who was like, you're right, you should be super pissed. 
because the world is just not fair to white guys ever. You've just been ripped off this whole time. And then, um, and then it just became that I guess the truth just, there's no truth anymore. You know, there's no terra firma with which we can all kind of just agree on things that are like, you know, maybe like vaccines are good. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe there's just like, be kind to people. You know, maybe there's just like two plus two still equals four. Like none of that, all those out the window now. You know, you literally see groups of people gathered in Dealey Plaza in Texas where JFK was murdered, um, waiting for John F. Kennedy Jr. to come back because they think he's gonna and that he's going to be Donald Trump's running mate. Uh, and they firmly believe that. Um, I don't know what to say anymore. I don't know. I just don't know what to say. How, how bleak do you feel about what's going on in the world? I feel, I used to feel like the media was just sort of lazy. And so, if people just heard some facts and laid out some truth, they were like, oh, wow, why aren't people reporting on that? I'm like, I know we should be mad. And now was that around the time that you created The Daily Show when you were becoming disenchanted with media? I think that and sort of through um, through a good deal of the Obama administration, you know, it's just like just bad message. I just blamed it on bad messaging, like, Mm -hmm. you know, having everybody be able to have an opportunity for affordable health care seems like a good idea. And like, it was just sold so badly. I mean, Democrats are terrible at selling yeah. things like the and also bad at fighting. They're constantly bringing in a PowerPoint presentation to a knife fight. <laughs> it's like, stop it. You guys are just terrible. So I think it's slowly and gradually developed. And now I feel like there's so many camps with which you can just park your ass into an ideological void mm-hmm. and just keep getting the same information that you want to hear that re-emphasizes your viewpoints that it's hard to drag people into another space and say, could we have just a conversation around just some facts um, and talking about fears, especially because I feel like, you know, Rage is just fear that's not realized. And so, but people just, I don't think, want to admit why they're scared. I think they um, don't want to admit their own weaknesses because I think they think it's a sign of failure rather than just like, we all have strengths and weaknesses. You know, what are your both things? And you don't define yourself by your weaknesses. Define yourself by your strengths. And then... Um, partner up with folks, get in communion with folks who can compliment you by having your weaknesses be their strengths. And then maybe you'll feel okay, but people are just messed up. My husband is very politically aware and very discouraged. Um, You know, he reads the news right when he gets up and then is just very like the sky is falling the sky. I mean, about, about everything, about politics, about climate, about, you know, we have two little kids and what world are they growing up in? And I think in order to not feel scared and nervous about everything, I want to just like 
block it out, except I know that the the alarm he's sounding that he's, you know, not the only one, obviously, like is correct. But that's why I'm asking you, you know, day to day, how discouraged are you about where this country country is headed? Yeah, I mean, I think that part of why I'm discouraged is just because we are we've been detached from our from humanity because of the pandemic. And, mm. and, and then before that, social media kind of helped create these spaces where we could just be alone in our thoughts on social media and have that. And so I think that us being alone with our own selves yeah. has been a giant problem. And I think also, like the people who are out in the streets being like, my mask, my body, my choice, I need to get back to work, you know, just being wildly insane you know and they're also the people who have like the most guns and have like you know bomb shelters and survival shelters and they're the biggest snowflakes ever it's like you spent two weeks with yourself alone and you were like i can't stand this i have (laughs) to get out right i'd rather movement i'd rather die of a virus than have to be home with myself another moment yeah it's like um You've never wanted to go to church in your life. Now you're screaming about how the churches need to be open and schools need to be open. And, you know, you never wanted to participate in your kids' homework. And now you're mad about critical race theory, which isn't even being taught to your kids. And it's like, I have no time to do anything. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, (laughs) I feel like you have all the time because every moment of your time is filled up with like protesting in front of schools, then protesting in front of abortion clinics, then you know, binge watching and rubbing one out to Tucker Carlson. I mean, I guess I like, I don't, I don't know where you, you should carve out time for like normal stuff. <laughs> so tell me about, um, abortion access front, formerly lady parts, parts justice, yes. right? Yeah. So abortion access front, it's a, it's a nonprofit that I started with a bunch of other comics and writers and show busy types. Um, and we do three things. We travel around the country and do comedy shows in states where it's just access to reproductive care is really profoundly terrible. And by those states, I mean every state. <laughs> but we do focus on like, you know, the South and stuff. And then we do a comedy music show. And then we incorporate conversations into the show with the providers of care and the activists on the ground. And then when you have a show that has like Sarah Silverman in it and Jill Sobule and all these cool people, you get all their fans to come and then they hear from the local folks what they can do to help. And then we have tables set up at the shows and they can sign up right there to help. And that it helps grow local activist spaces. And then we do sort of this Habitats for Humanity for the clinic. So every town that we go to, we do some kind of fixing up at the clinic or some kind of work to help them out. Because I think what a lot of folks don't realize is when you provide abortion care in Montgomery, Alabama, or Wichita, Kansas, or someplace like that, you often can't get a landscaper or someone to fix your roof or paint because you provide abortion. And so we, they talk about what they need. We will do some big initial public works project, I call it, but it's a private works project. Mm -hmm. And then we'll tell the audience that, that they need people to sustain their work. And I'll never forget, we were in Oklahoma City and, uh, and we're telling the story that this clinic needed, um, lawn care, like a lawn service. 
And this guy has got his hand up and he's waving his hand wildly. And I was like, do you, would you like to ask a question? And he's like, I'm a man. Can I ask? And I was like, yes, you can ask. Like, stop saying that feminists don't allow men to talk. Um, and so I, he said, I, from what I'm hearing you say, I can be an activist by having this clinic hire me. They pay me and I mow their lawn and that's being an activist. And I said, yes. I said, the act of you parking your truck in front of this clinic says, I welcome this clinic into my community. I want to provide service for them. And you get paid for the pleasure of doing it. It's pretty dope. Like activism takes many forms. You know, a lot of people aren't people who march in the streets. You know, you can show up in many ways, but I, I just implore everyone to show up. And if you don't know how you can show up, the one thing that's really cool about abortion access front is we can put you to work doing something for five minutes a year, five minutes a day, whatever your skill set looks like. You can literally go sign up and send a note to say, I don't really know how I can be helpful, but here's some stuff I just do in my regular life. And nine times out of 10, the thing that you can do in your sleep is an incredible skill that if you could give part of that time to help out somewhere, you would be making the world a better place for people accessing care, people providing care. And um, it's pretty great. You get to meet people where you live. And then the third thing we do, um, we do, oh, that's the first thing. Um, second thing we do is um, we have a big program that exposes a lot of people don't know, but like out there in the world, um, there is this insidious network of fake abortion clinics that are started by Christian fundamentalists and they look like clinics. It's mm. called like, you know, the Hartford Women's Center. And then they're ad, they'll advertise and say like all types of pregnancy help. And so you go there and there's people literally dressed up in lab coats who are nothing more than people who want to talk you out of your abortion and then lie to you about abortion. And it's really terrible. So we expose those places. How is that legal? It's here's why it's legal. And this is what's terrifying. So they, we went to the Supreme Court, the state of California went to the Supreme Court. And then um, what this is the, the rub of all of it. And the rub is if you don't provide actual health care, you can have a structure and wear a costume and say whatever you want, because that is protected under the First Amendment. And so if you say, yeah, so if you say wow, we provide pregnancy tests and we can uh, do an ultrasound, anybody can operate an ultrasound machine, mm, by the way, totally legal. We have ultrasounds. We'll... Um, counsel you we will all this stuff and it's like it all sounds like healthcare, uh -huh. but it's not and, and is so, that what these clinics do they do do like pregnancy tests and ultrasounds and yes quasi anything that stuff. you can get at the dollar store you know you can get a pregnancy <laughs> test at the dollar yeah. store you don't need right. some manipulative shitbag organization who is doing that and so um and then they give you um just a whole host of lies and they oftentimes will often deceive people and say, you're not, you're not far along enough for us to detect anything. Why don't you come back in a month? Oh, when, when somebody's, when it's too late. God yeah. damn. And so that, and so, and, and they, and they do stuff like, you know, we'll give you a gown. So 
um, get your get dressed in here and then go into this other room. So now your belongings are in a different room and your phone is in a different room. And so people are have often said that they've been held there for a really long time and have had to have desperately tried to get their stuff and it's been really hard to get out. A lot of times they'll set up across the street or right next to actual clinics. Mm-hmm. And um, there's fake ones that like, let's say they have a parking lot, but the real clinic doesn't. They'll put up a sign in the parking lot that says you free parking here. Mm-hmm. Um, stop in here to get your ultrasound before you go to your clinic for to your appointment. So they'll get people into their clinic, do an ultrasound that's shoddy, and then they'll, the people will miss their actual appointments. And so it's stuff like that that's really insidious. And there's yeah. nothing about that that's illegal because it feels like nothing. it should be. I don't know what I feel like. It, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but I feel like it's false advertising or fraud or something. So did we. And we thought for sure when the state of California challenged them and they laid it out, and this was pre-Kavanaugh Supreme Court, um, it was it was shocking that it's the Supreme Court allowed that these are First Amendment issues and that you can lay out your beliefs and values and couch it in a place like this. And and unless you are providing actual medical advice and have actual doctors doing it or providing actual medical care, you can say whatever the hell you want. So like really depressing. Someone, some bad actor could set up in front of my house and intercept a podcast guest and be like, oh, are you are you here for the pre-interview? Even though yes. clearly, judging from my work, I don't do pre-interviews. And then they could put out a tape recorder. We don't use tape recorders either, but you know what I'm saying. And they could be like, I'm just going to gonna record the pre-interview. And then they yeah. could like get a whole episode before the person comes to me. And by the time they come to me, it might be too late because they already, the emotional labor they've already shared. And that's legal. I mean, they could, I mean, the, if, I think, the, I think no, because you were, if, if you, if it wasn't that, I don't know. I, I think the difference is you, Allison Rosen, mm-hmm. are a specific person that they are coming to see and they can't intercept and pretend to be part of an affiliation for you. Right. So this person isn't saying I'm part of, the abortion clinic, the way they phrase it is um, you can get an ultrasound here before you go to your appointment. And they let the and, person fill in the blanks. And they let the person fill in the blanks. So they, if they're very cagey about that. The other thing that's even creepier is that they also have mobile vans that do <laughs> mobile ultrasound. So you tell me if there's anything creepier than somebody pulling up a van and then stands outside the van and says, hey, come into the van and get an ultrasound. Yeah. I don't know what your mom told you, but for sure, when I was little, the one thing was I can never get in a van with right. a stranger. Never mind a stranger with, with a, a wand who wants to give you an ultrasound. Yeah, that's uh, so have I imagine you've talked to many women who have been duped, right? We have. And I- we've actually gone undercover inside the places, too. And had, we had one, um, a person who works for us, a really young person, young black woman, um, went in and she went in with a young black man and they separated them and they lectured the man saying like, you know what? You don't want to get married to her. Like, this isn't what you want. And then telling her 
like you shouldn't be having sex. So slut shaming her and telling him it was so messed up. And they gave them and they gave her all this literature and like it was wild. Yeah, it was really wild. Did you guys film it? Uh, we didn't film it because we were in a state where you couldn't go mm-hmm. in with undercover filming. So we just went in. But um, NARAL in California did a lot of intense research where they went undercover in states where you could film it um, and got a lot of audio. And it's really upsetting. But was the purpose of, of you guys going in for knowledge or like did you yeah. at any point did at the end did they ever did you tell them who you were no, no we didn't um and i think we went in because we had done research we had made calls we had um just scoured websites talked to other people who had been in and we just wanted to see for ourselves um without being um just being vulnerable and saying what you wanted mm-hmm. to see what they would do and how how much they would double down on investing in you having uh, a child that you gave circumstances that weren't feasible mm-hmm. and you know and it's it's this whole notion and and you know there was a big Supreme Court case last week that they heard um, you know this case in yeah. Mississippi and one of the things that Amy Coney Barrett said when arguing this Mississippi case, which is a 15-week abortion ban. Roe v. Wade right now, the law of the land says that you can have a legal abortion in this country up to 24 weeks. Mm-hmm. And so Amy Coney Barrett said, you know, we have safe havens where people can just drop off their babies if they don't want them. Isn't that um, now an answer to abortion where people can just drop off their babies? And it's like, you're a grown woman. And apparently what you're saying is, Aren't people just potting soil now? The act of giving birth and being pregnant is nothing. And, and, you know, what's the harm in just going and dropping off the baby at the firehouse and going about your career? I mean, it was so weird and terrifying mm-hmm. that she was just ignoring the individual right. and what actually childbirth is profoundly dangerous. Mm-hmm. Pregnancy is profoundly dangerous and to just dismiss these things as just at the end of the day you can just go bring your bring your baby to a i don't know where these safe havens i only know that firehouses are one but i'm sure yeah. there's other places the baby but, depository know, yeah the, the baby box um, and also then so, does she, i mean i'm sh- does she know then what happens to these babies no and apparently no one particularly Cares. is interested in what happens to these babies when they're born or what happens to the people having these babies and their families. You know, it's, you know, we talk about, a well, we hardly ever talk about abortion period. So I, I'm, I'm grateful for the time to talk about it with you. You know, people don't realize that most people who have abortions are already parents. Yeah. 65% of people who have abortions I was are su- navigating life. I was surprised to hear that statistic. Yeah. You know, and so they are really doing an assessment of what they're doing, how they want to live their lives. And, you know, I wish we had a country that honored all pregnancy outcomes so that if you were pregnant, you could make decisions based on your, your actual capacity. Mm-hmm. And, 
we would help supplement that as a society and as a government. And, you know, we would say, we want to make sure we have programs so that people can thrive and have healthy families. And conversely, we want to make sure that we have and fund programs that if somebody says, I need to have an abortion because I just can't do this for my life right now. I I, I can't have any more kids. I, I can't do it myself for a myriad of reasons that we would say, we should help you on that path also. Because isn't the point where uh, that everyone should just be start on an equal playing field and be able to like develop and live their best lives? Like, I feel like we pride ourselves in America's greatness. And yet the greatness just isn't accessible to uh, the wide swath of mm-hmm. people. I know you grew up in a very conservative Catholic family, youngest of five kids. Um, why is this particular issue personal to you? I think it's personal to me because growing up, even in that environment, um, I didn't even see what the potential was for me. Like, what's the promise for me as a Catholic woman? What if I wanted to be a priest? Oh, I can't. I mean, back when I was younger, I couldn't even be an altar boy. (laughs) You know, I could be, I could participate in none of it. Mm -hmm. And literally the highest rank you can have in the Catholic church as a woman is none. And the word none is hilarious to me. Um, and I also, I also got pregnant the first time I ever had sex in high school. Uh, you know, no, no teaching of birth control, you know, navigating the sin process, you know, it's like, well, if I use birth control and have sex, that's committing two sins. Mm. So if I don't use birth control, it's only one. So I'm totally nailing it. Um, <laughs> you know, just like stupid 16 year old rationale. And I ended up at one of these fake clinics I was talking about oh, wow. in trying to find, um, a place to have an abortion. And this person showed up in a lab coat, showed me those a book full of those horrible pictures, told me that my only options were mommy or murder. And I was terrified. I was terrified because she didn't know the circumstance I was in. I was with a, a high school hockey player in Minnesota with a mullet. So you can imagine how supportive that was going. <laughs> um, but he was like abusive and terrible. Mm-hmm. And, and I, in like, for anybody who has ever been in a relationship that was unhealthy, um, oftentimes you don't know how to get out of them. But, but the one thing I did know was if I was to have a kid with this person that I would never get out. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that couldn't be an option. I just knew that that is one thing I needed to figure out for myself as to how to not be pregnant anymore so that I eventually could figure out how to leave this person. And so, um, you know, somebody who immediately comes at you with, you know, you need to be a mommy. This is murder. You're terrible. It's not anybody you're going to confide anything in. Mm-hmm. And you, I just wanted to get the hell out. And so um, I ended up having an abortion. It wasn't traumatic. The people at the clinic asked me a series of questions that could have gone either way. You know, they didn't lead me with, with something that would fulfill their agenda. They just wanted me to ask myself the questions that would make me feel as okay as possible about the decision I was making. And at the end of the day, when I was like, what do I want to do with my life? Who do I want to be? What does my future look like? Um, it didn't involve that guy. It didn't involve kids. Um, and I'm 60 years old now and never had kids because I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. So um, I got to do all this stuff and pursue my dreams because somebody simply allowed me the path to do it, you know, and I feel super grateful for that. And I feel like a lot of years I was always pro-choice, but I wasn't active in making sure that other people 
could have the opportunity I did. And, and, you know, I think we all remember when Wendy Davis in Texas was filibustering and Mm -hmm. all that stuff was happening. And that was in 2011. Um, And 26 other states had this horrible stuff happen. I, I really decided that I wanted to do a career switch where I could combine my comedy and my writing and sort of my daily show experience exposing all these losers um, and really focus on this issue. Cause I think it's, I think it's important and it's not talked about enough. So, um, you know, I just, I want to be part of some kind of solution. <laughs> That's what I want to be. If you hadn't gone to the fake clinic first, do you think the trajectory of your career would have been different? Like if you had just gone to get an abortion and it went as you hoped. I think, I think that um, the access or the experience of that fake clinic um, gave me a real world insidious taste into um what Catholicism had was sort of teaching me because mm-hmm. the place was a Catholic place that I went to. Um, I think that having the abortion, I, I think I was still exposed to just sort of the insidious nature of patriarchy and misogyny anyway, just being a woman that, um, I think the clinic was a, the fake clinic was a reminder. And I think that, um, the access to the abortion and then watching the erosion, Mm -hmm. uh, was something I paid attention to a lot. And I don't think it would have changed. I think I would have been on this. I think I would have ended up in the Mm -hmm. same spot. Did your family know? Well, they didn't know, but they found out because I was $30 short when I had my procedure and I gave them my address and they sent a bill to my parents. And so my mom was terrified and like, oh my God, we have to pray for you and all this stuff. And I have to tell you the greatest thing happened. Um, First, she wanted to send me, there were this weekend like classes where you had to fall on some kind of shame sword and apologize to the Lord and Jesus. And I said, I'm not going to those classes. You you can't, I'm not going. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, then you have to go talk to the P- Father Mudri. It was our priest. You have to go talk to Father Mudri. And I went and talked to Father Mudri. And he said to me, you know, I'm a priest. I can't give you communion if you're going to not go to these things. But I also need you to know that. Um, it's like traffic school for Catholicism. Yeah. yeah. He said, but I also need you to know that um, I don't believe that you are going to burn in hell. And I don't oh. believe that you are doing anything in your life that is going to cause uh, God to hate you. And so you need to take that out of your mind and find forgiveness within yourself because um, on behalf of the church, I forgive you. And that was really powerful. And he was like, so tell your mother that, you know, we had a long talk. I'll, I'll talk to her too. And it'll be fine. So that was really like, great like that i had a cool priest instead yeah. of a fire and brimstone priest was he going um, rogue what do you make of that he might he maybe he was going a little rogue also i think that like sometimes you just get those good priests who are just done with some kind of garbage around the church mm-hmm. because you know i've met plenty of good i mean there's a great organization called catholics for choice who you know really help navigate what it means to be a pro-choice catholic in the world and 
you know, these arguments around abortion are never going to stop. There's going to be people who say life begins at this and that and the other thing. And it's like, except for life, when life begins, we can talk about that all day long. When pregnancy begins is a scientific fact and um, how pregnancy develops and what that looks like and what, what, what potential humanity is, is scientific. And if your religion teaches you things about that, that wants to prevent other people from terminating pregnancies, um, I don't think that should live in any part of our government. I just don't. Mm-hmm. And so those are fights you're never going to win. But like, it is some utter garbage when you got when they just have to spit out lies and stuff to just get their point across. It's like, I can't hear about ripping apart limbs and all this other stuff that's not true. And just right. like, shut up and stop getting up, getting in front of clinics. Because they really their kink is shaming people going. And when you go to clinics, and you see these men out there screaming, it's like, at one point, there's an amazing comedian named Joyelle Johnson, and you should have her on your pod. Mm. She's incredible. And she goes on the road with us a lot. Um, and we were outside of a comedy club. And when we do our shows, a lot of times those protesters come to our shows and protest our shows. And um, this guy was screaming at Joyelle, and I was sitting on the curb because I was tying my shoe. And I looked, and he got an erection screaming <laughs> at Joyelle. Wow. And I was like, you are so turned on by yelling at a black woman. Yeah. And I pointed it out. I was like, you have a boner, dude. You have a boner yelling at a black woman. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? And he was so mortified. And I was like, that's right. I'm shaming you. It was great. Felt great. I got a boner. If I, and, now, and now Tony and I have boners. I know. Just we just all you have boners. Really just paying it forward. <laughs> Do you guys get a lot of hate on the road? Yeah, we get a lot of hate. We have a lot of, um, you know, and, and they can't help themselves. And so it does them no service to bring those big, horrible signs to our shows because it's like, even if you agreed with them, this is a comedy show. We're not providing abortions here. Mm-hmm. We're not doing that here. You are just traveling around with your hateful signs and you're screaming and being a mess. And I think that. You know, especially when the movement tries to pretend that they don't exist and that the anti-abortion movement is really pro-life and they're just nuns outside with rosaries just praying for you. Mm. Like, you know, nice try, but we have hours of footage, you know. I mean, yeah, I have an FBI agent who has to look out for me and let me know when there's like threatening, threatening activity. I've had my my life scrubbed from the internet and um it's 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 kind of scary but not really because it's really the providers that um they look at as the bounty and Mm. that's why for me it's important to stand with those people because you know a person who provides abortion care can't drive home uh the same way in a week Mm-hmm. They have to take different routes all the time home because they're followed. Um, a lot of times these organizations will put flyers all over the neighborhood of where, where a person lives that says a baby murderer lives at, you know, one, two, three Walnut Street. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff like this that happens that I think people don't really understand what it means. And now with this Texas law, I mean, the Supreme Court ruled, uh, ruled that the, the ruling came down this week. And what they ruled is that 
this law in Texas can stay in effect. And now bounty hunters in every state um, can burgeon up and terrorize physicians. People are scared to do their jobs. Doctors can't do their jobs anymore in Texas because they're afraid that they're going to get multiple lawsuits against them. And it's, it's terrifying. So what is, okay. I'm asking, can you, you just, you explained some of it, but like, can you break it down for the dummies among us? Yeah. Uh, what changed where now they're afraid of lawsuits and maybe they weren't before. So Texas on September 1st imposed a law and in this law, it was two parts. One part of the law says that abortions cannot be performed after there is cardiac activity mm -hmm. identified in the pregnancy. They call it a heartbeat, but it's not. A heart is not developed. It's literally cardiac activity. Most people don't know they're pregnant at that time. And, and just to give you sort of context around that, um, 12 other states have tried to pass this law. And has been shut down by the federal courts every single time for, for some because of Roe. Because of Roe. Yeah. It's, it's an, it's a wholly unconstitutional law by leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. Um, the second part of the Texas law and the way that they, uh, sneakily got around suing the state of Texas is that they said, it's not Texas that will bring lawsuits if doctors perform these uh, abortions after six weeks. We are deputizing oh, right. any single person on the planet who says um, who who is who can, to bring lawsuits against anyone who is helping someone access abortion or someone providing abortion. So that's where you could like bring a lawsuit against the Uber driver or something. The Uber driver, the hotel that somebody mm -hmm. stayed at. And you don't even have to know for sure anything. You can just suspect that somebody is helping someone get an abortion and bring a case. And if you bring that case, that person has to get a lawyer and they have to go to court and if the if it's just revealed that this person is just a vigilante just trying to do this and they lose their case, you as the victim of this can't get restitution for your legal fees. You have uh. to pay your own legal fees. And so it's if you're a doctor, your malpractice no, it's death insurance by goes cuts. up. That's right. And so what's happened now that the Supreme Court, first of all, this case went to the Supreme Court and they said, we're going to keep this law in effect, but we'll hear the case. Instead of saying, it's unconstitutional, we'll hear the case, but in the meantime, we're not going to let it go into effect like they've done every other time. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that's interesting is, I think folks really need to understand that it's wholly unusual and unprecedented for the Supreme Court to take a case that lower courts have repeatedly said is unconstitutional. You, a case usually ends up in the Supreme Court because there's been rulings that go against a legal precedent that's been set mm -hmm. to say that it's unconstitutional. So for them to say, um, 
there's no controversy here. We're going to hear the case anyway, shows that this court has a political agenda that um, is new and should terrify a lot of people because it's just, it's just, it's just wild. Does it terrify you? It does terrify me because it means that we have this precedent, Roe v. Wade, and and it's like a shadow law now, mm-hmm. you know. And and they heard a Mississippi case last week that that proposes a 15 week abortion ban, which again is wildly unconstitutional because it goes against Roe. And um, Infinite Wisdom says that they're going to uphold that, um, and if they do. 12 states have a law on the books that say we will shut down abortion in all cases immediately. There's 12 other states who are, who have laws that have been held by lower courts that will go into effect because this Supreme Court statute will, will let them become law. And what that means is that's 24 states that will get rid of abortion basically as we know it affecting 75 million people of reproductive age. Um, that's pretty astounding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You've worked as a clinic escort, right? Mm-hmm. What is that experience like? So that experience is, it's very rewarding to be able to help navigate someone to their abortion safely and with some compassion and with comfort and with support. Um, I think that what is traumatic and tragic about it is when you have a sea of, and when I say white men, it's 99% white, white dudes and, and who believe in all kinds of just like, you know, biblical literacy, literally, and, you know, women are subservient and it's that mess. And so when they're screaming at oftentimes a sea of young women of color coming into a clinic and then the person who's got to provide the care for, or the the guidance and help to get them into the clinic is an older white woman mm-hmm. who you know, that there's not a lot of trust there. A lot of times interactions they've had with white women aren't great either. Um, it's traumatizing. And so for them, you know, you mean. for them, you know, you're trying to help them navigate a sea of oppression mm-hmm. that they feel on a daily basis anyway. And then the sea of judgment and oppression and this white lady, I hope that she's going to be a kind person that navigates me when my experience isn't that white women have necessarily mm-hmm. been kind. So, you know, having that moment of trust uh, and having them at least have that moment of trust is great. I just, I just wish it didn't have to be. I just, I just wish that nobody had to be in anyone's business about having their abortions. I just, it makes me feel really powerless sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, but also, you know, you try to be helpful. You know, I imagine there are people who are listening because I, you know, was on, I met you because I was on the Adam Carolla show and you had been, you were a producer on the man show, right? Or consultant producer? On the, on the, on the pilot. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and you know, Adam has many anti-abortion listeners, I'm sure, who I think many of them have like peeled off of my, uh, my podcast, but I, I, but still there, I'm sure there's listeners right now who are like, pardon this language, but who are, are like, but I don't believe in baby murder. That That's the yeah. end of it. Yeah. I don't know if there's, I don't, I don't but, either. Yeah. <laughs> I am 100% against the murder of babies. I am 100% against it. I, I will agree with every single person on being against baby murder. And you know, it's, And, and that is the thing that is, there's a profound disconnect that maybe always will be with some people who are always going to look at abortion as baby murder. And I don't know that I'm trying to reach them. And when they try to debate me, it's always like, I don't accept your, your ground, the ground of your premise that it's baby murder. So we Mm -hmm. can't have a conversation. You know, and you, you look at me with disdain and I don't want to debate somebody who looks at me as an advocate for murder. And I especially don't want to debate somebody who tells me that they're pro-life and cares about children. When you won't wear a mask, you won't get vaccinated. You absolutely don't care about the children that are murdered in schools with gun violence. You don't want to expand Medicaid to help poor folks get healthcare. There's not a single thing about your life that has told me that you are actually pro-life. Not a single thing, not a single policy. You don't want to expand the, the minimum wage so people can make that. You are fine with children being separated from their families and put in cages. I just don't accept that you think that it's a noble cause to give diapers to an expectant person and tell them that they should keep that baby because you'll give them and provide for them for a year, maybe. If, if the world you're creating for them, I literally had a person say to me, at our fake, she didn't say fake clinic, but I say it <laughs> at our pregnancy resource. They call it a pregnancy at our pregnancy resource center. We sign people up for all the programs available to them. And I said, did you vote to fund them? or expand them? Or did you vote for people who are trying to shut them down? Because if you if you are not voting to create a better world for people who don't have a leg up, then you this is a disingenuous garbage place to be. Like you're not doing good work. <laughs> the work yeah. is deceitful. And so I have to see you living in a world where it makes sense. I mean, and, and I'm, and I know that there's people who are just out there and that are out there and that will listen. And I'm sure you're going to get a bunch of really crabby letters. And I apologize in advance. That's okay. Um, I want you know, to know about, about having me on, but the truth be told is unless you have done the work that I have done. And unless you have been on the ground as much as I have been through abortion, talk to people who need them seeing what these people go through on a daily basis, see the compassion of the staff that works with people that provides this care. You you do not have enough experience to talk about it because what I hear from them all the time is lies about what abortion actually is. Mm-hmm. 
or even lies and or misinformation. It's willful promotion of information or refusing to actually find out what it is. Um, and it's just, it's really sad because there's been abortions forever. There's always going to be. And statistically, if one in four women have an abortion in their lifetime, in their reproductive lifetime, there is always going to be. And so what are you doing? And even if we had all the birth control in the world, there's still going to be abortion, which we need to have all the birth control in the world. I believe that there's no world where there's abstinence and unicorns. It's just not happening. Sex is fun and it's free. So it will, you can't tell people to not have sex. <laughs> the thing that and I have a bad habit of occasionally getting sucked into like Twitter debates or Facebook debates. I mean, it's so stupid, but the thing that, that I can't wrap my head around is this idea that it is 100% the woman or the girl's responsibility to be responsible when a baby fetus embryo life, whatever you want to call it is not created without someone ejaculating inside her. No, no one ever got pregnant from a vibrator. That is a true fact that is real. And, and that is the whole thing. And it's so interesting because also, um, you know, from my point of view, uh, since I do not believe that it is a baby, it is potential life and it is your body and what you want to do is your jam. There is no, what about lost fatherhood? I don't, what, I don't know. (laughs) What about it? Bothering a lot of people. What are you talking about? Like, if like wear a condom and if you don't want someone to have an abortion, don't have sex with them. Oh yeah. That's what, that's what it was. I tweeted something like, Hey, Hey guys, uh, if abortion bothers you, here's a real easy solution. Just make sure not to have sex without a condom. It seems so obvious to me. And I got yes. so much pushback. Like, why? Well, how about if she just keeps her legs closed? How about if she just, what about, what about her personal responsibility? It's like, okay, but what about yours too? But also, and here's an unpopular, but true opinion. Her personal responsibility is I, if I have an unintended pregnancy, I can have an abortion. I can yeah. take plan B. I do not have a, you know, that is, and that's the part that people don't want to understand is, assessing your life and what you want to do part of those assessments is having an abortion that is taking personal responsibility you know not being able to care for a child and having a child seems like a terrible idea you know right i hear i've heard every single thing what about the people who use abortion for birth control well a if they want to do that i don't know you can have as many kids as you, abortion doesn't stop your fertility. So if people want to have abortions, they can have abortions. But also if people don't have access or education to use birth control or have it, um, and, and are having multiple abortions, do you think that person is going to have access to information to good parenting? <laughs> I doubt it. So that's a stupid argument. What else you got? What, you know, I, that whole, why don't they just close their legs? I'm sorry. What? I know. Why should we have to close our legs? We have options. You know, I mean, I would say always use a condom because, you know, you want to prevent STDs. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that you're having sex that is healthy sex, you know, not just to not get pregnant, but to not, you know, get sick. So it is, it is profound how it's all just 
it's all just a mess and it's all put on it's on woman. And also think of how dudes have benefited from birth control and abortion. You know, for years we haven't, I, I feel bad because, you know, the movement that came before me that sort of laid the groundwork was like, men need to just shut up and we don't need you in this and yada, yada. I think that men need to be part of this. I think that men need to step up and say, you know what? How many times I can tell you a million relationships where I paid for all the birth control and the dude benefited profoundly, got mm-hmm. to move on with his life. There was no scary thing that happened. Like it was great. Or if somebody, if a couple gets pregnant and someone decides to have an abortion, you know, people got to move on and do what they needed to do. And, you know, if you were to ask a lot of those couples, how's, how's the dude doing? Is he making more than you? Yes. A lot of times. Yes. So, you know, birth control helps everyone. It creates healthy relationships, healthy families. It's good for society. It, it helps you make good decisions in your career, in your life. Um, same with abortion. And I think that like, I, I look at, um, the advocacy and, and this dire place that we're in right now. And like, if, if guys are listening and they're like, what could I possibly do to help? How could I be helpful? There's a couple of ways. A, I'm always going to say, I'll take your money. Happy to donate abortion access front, but also, um, find out where there's actions and activities happening. Like you can be an escort at a clinic and it's super appreciated. But like if there's groups of people like at the Supreme Court gathering and you want to go, it's really important to show that we're, we're multi-gendered, multi, you know, uh, ethnic, multi-generational advocates who care about people's humanity you know, they got all these men over there on their side and they look like the people of life and all this other stuff. And, and we actually are that. So, you know, turn up. It's actually a good thing to do. People would appreciate it. So, uh, I am on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. There's bonus episodes of the friend zone. There's a level where you can text me and I'll text you back. We're going to have a zoom party this month. Um, you can submit, a carbohydrate that I'll call you on the Thursday show. And you can submit questions for our guests. And we have some questions for Liz. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Okay. Whitney C says, what was the last disappointment she experienced, even if minor? The last disappointment, I mean, I think the last disappointment was big and it was having the Supreme Court rule that uh, this bounty hunting law in Texas could stay in place, allowing every other state to enact it Mm -hmm. and just what that's like. So that was a pretty big, like, that's a meta disappointment. Right. Um, I think that, you know, small disappointments, a small disappointment for me is I am having a giant problem potty training my dog Mm. and we had gone like four days and worked it out and then just like set packville of like peeing in the house and pooping in the house so that's that's disappointing i'm trying to figure out what i'm doing wrong and i just don't know is this a young dog 
He's a rescue that I got last year in February. Um, and I got him when he was one. And mm-hmm. so he's just under two. That's still pretty young. Still pretty young. And I've usually always rescued dogs who are like older, like mm-hmm. four and up by like a, like a mini getting into the senior dog thing that's been tr- <laughs> house trained. And this dog is not, and it's been rough. No pun, right? No pun. <laughs> what kind of dog is he? Um, he is a, come here. Do you want to say hi? Yes. YouTube.com slash Allison Rosen. You can see, oh my God, I see like a fluffy poodle kind of dog. He's a Havanese oh. uh, poo mix. He's super cute. He does not, he His- doesn't, he looks like someone that would pee and poop in your house and not care. Well, I have to tell you also, he is um, adorable, but also this breed of dog has lips and eyes. And sometimes he looks like a person in a dog costume. And I've had myself and a couple of friends be like, Mr. Funk, his name is Mr. Funk. Mr. Funk kind of freaks me out because when he looks at me, I feel like he's staring into my soul. And I was like, I get it. He's not doggy. Sometimes he's like, Look, bitch. (laughs) 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 Maybe he's what is Father Mooney? Father Mooney. Father Moody. Oh, Father Moody. Maybe he's come back to judge you. Maybe. Even though he was so kind before. Um, Okay. Tammy H says, Did you plan to be the host of the Daily Show? I'm curious of its evolution. Uh, And it seemed like such a boys' club. This may be too forward, but what is your unvarnished opinion of Jon Stewart? Oh, so I didn't ever want to be the host because it's the, the Daily Show. It's 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 complicated, but it felt like a boys' club because the news is a boys' club, and so we we purposely put like Craig Kilborn, you know, as the host, had all these like very male dominated things because. That's what the news was mm-hmm. in the backs in the back room. Um, you know, the two creators were women. Our supervising producer was a woman. Our executive in charge of production was a woman. Producers were women. The writers' room, I was the only woman, and we only had six writers. And I tell everyone when we launched, we had 150 submissions, and we we blind submit, meaning I don't see a name, mm-hmm. I just see the submissions. Um, and so. We ended up with six people, but, um, after the, after, um, six guys and after that, it was like, we, we kind of tallied it up and we had two women that submitted in the totality. Oh, wow. And they just didn't do it. Yeah. You know, it was a time when there wasn't a lot of, and there still isn't, you know, I was a political satirist and I do politics in my stand up. There's hardly any people that do political satire at all. And hardly any women that do it at all. Mm -hmm. And people just weren't like writing in tune with that. Very few people at all, period. And even less women. People were trying to do sitcom writing and like regular late night writing. Right. And so that's that. Um, my unvarnished opinion of Jon Stewart. Um, Jon Stewart's great. You know, Jon Stewart is super talented. And, you know, I mean, what can I say? I mean, the one thing that's was, sort of massively frustrating. Um, and it's not a John Stewart problem, but it's a problem that evolves from just like sexism in the workplace is, you know, 
I didn't make any friends with network executives because I was fighting constantly to keep the show a political show and not like a entertainment newsy snarky news mm. show. And um, they would be mad and pissed. Like and they like, wanted to make fun of pop culture? Yes. And I was like, if you want to have celebrity guests on, why do you want to do that? You're not going to make news doing that. Mm. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. And also the news is very real and no one's doing it. Why don't, you know? And so I would push back. I was very like, I'm not hearing this. And then when John took over the show, um, all of a sudden, John had the same feelings about things that I did, really wanted to keep it political. And then it was fine. And then that's, you know, and then of course they would listen to John Stewart. And I that was gone is. then. And I was like, oh, look at that. Look at that. Thank you, John. And, and it made me happy at least because um, it was an exhausting fight. Mm-hmm. And the one thing is when you make a show and you create a show, um, you really want to, it to have legs and you want to make sure that like your instincts were right and that it was good. And to have somebody come in and next level it. I mean, he leveled up so hard that it's like crazy. Um, that was maybe the most rewarding thing that could have happened was to have, have your dream be realized by a really brilliant person. Mm. What do you think of Trevor Noah? I think he's great too. You know, I think, and I think that like, it's, it's unfair to compare Trevor to John because there's been such a media shift and such a, a landscape shift that the world that Trevor is responding to is one that is wholly different Mm. than the one that John and I responded to. And I think he's great. And what do you think of Samantha B? I love Samantha B. I think she's really funny and I think she's doing a great job and I think that she's fearless and I just love anybody who's fearless. Uh, Okay. Shonda Jackson, two-parter. How did you start and what was your first break that gained traction for your career? How did I start? I started on a dare. I literally was in college and I was sort of the class cynic, you know, and I was just like, always loved news. But my comedy act wasn't really newsy in the beginning. I was just kind of talking about like, more like sexism and dating and all that kind of stuff. So somebody dared me and I did it. And um, I kind of was hooked after the first night that I did it. I was like, I planned on being a history professor. That was what I wanted to do. And then I just kept doing stand up and that was like it. I think my big break came and this is a crazy story. I, um, the first place I moved, I grew up in Minneapolis and Minneapolis was a really strong comedy scene back in the eighties. Um, and had like six clubs and people would come through and it was great. And so I met a lot of comics from out of town because they came through to work. And so when I was ready to move out of Minneapolis, I didn't want to go to the, LA or New York first. I wanted to go to a middle city. So I went to San Smart. Francisco. Yeah. And I lived with an incredible comedian named Dana Gould. Oh yeah. It was my room. I've so had Dana, Dana on I'm, multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. So Dana was my roommate and uh, another guy named Alex Reed, who uh, is an incredible Rand Malcolm in the middle, very funny comedian, very funny producer. And so I was doing a show at this tiny club in San Francisco called the Holy city zoo. It literally sat 80 people. And I had just come from a hell gig on stage. I am just screaming about this shitty gig in Merced, California. <laughs> and uh, just like horrible. And uh, this guy is laughing in the audience. And I was like, oh, my God, 
I'm not funny. I'm not being funny. I'm just being rageful. And you just sound like Robin Williams and you're just morking out. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Kept getting louder. And I was like, stop it. Are you going to snap your stupid rainbow suspenders next? Like, just stop. <laughs> And I just kept shitting on this guy. And you know where this is going. It was Robin Williams. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he was like, you were so funny. I really want you to meet my manager. They're launching this HBO comedy special called Women of the Night. Women of the Night! <laughs> <laughs> and I think you should do it. And I was like, okay. I couldn't be on the Young Comedian special. I got to be on Women of the Night. Okay. <laughs> so he introduced oh, me funny to his horse. Funny whores. Oh, my God. It, the open of it, we were literally dressed up like whores getting out of a limo in an alley in big fur coats. It's fucking disgusting. But Andrea Martin was the host. It oh, was wow. crazy. Yeah. So um he introduced me to his manager and I got on Women of the Night. And so that was my first big break, which is pretty crazy. That is crazy. Were you stunned when you realized it was Robin Williams? Like, how did... How did the I was stunned because I will happen. and I knew that he would go there. And I think I was just so tired. And I was just like, I was just having a moment too because it was like my first place that I had moved to from Minneapolis. And so I'm in San Francisco. The only friends I had were comedians like they're not supportive, really a bunch of guys, you know, they're they mean well, but like, I'm a person who has like a very robust non Hollywoody performy circle of friends, mm -hmm. support network, and all that. And so I was just like, I didn't move to San Francisco to do a one-nighter in Merced <laughs> where some asshole is just like shit. Like, it was just like a mess. And I think that I was just like, I thought I was going to come back to the Holy City Zoo, just do a set in San Francisco for smart San Franciscans. And this guy just was laughing a little too hard at my, like, rage. <laughs> and I was like, I can't deal. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Uh, I was like, Ugh. Jennifer Tokaji says, oh, my God, I love her Twitter. She is such a smart, empowered feminist. I don't have a question, but I really admire how outspoken she is. And I love her politics. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. Sometimes I feel like my Twitter is a super fun site. I mean, I just like, but uh, I just like spew. I mean, I spew what I spew. So I'm glad that it it's uh, that you find it enjoyable and fun because it is just a lot of me you know, raging on. So thank you. I appreciate that. I have to tell you, I think about something, a couple of things that you said a lot. Uh, back when you were on, you were saying some people hate sex, some people hate chocolate. When I was talking about the hate that I get. And that was what you're like, you can't, you know, people have terrible opinions all the time. Yeah, <laughs> you can't I please mean, everyone. And that I do think about that often. I mean, I think that that's just the way you got to live because um, if you think you can, if you think you can master something and get everyone to like you, mm -hmm. you're going to set yourself up always for failure. And I, and I say it to myself a lot too. And, and, and I, and I still say that, Allison, it's like, there's people who hate babies. There's people who hate chocolate. So why would you be egotistical enough to think that everybody would like right. you? And once you realize that it's going to be okay and that you find your, your space and you then gather a posse, um, it's much more rewarding. Yeah. I really admire what you do because it's a cause clearly so important and so close to your heart and you really are making a difference and 
knowing that you're stepping into, uh, you know, a, a, a toxic stew where you're going to get like bile splashed on you all the time. Yeah. Well, and you know what's so interesting? And, and it's, I've made that choice, right? I'm the, I'm a comedian. I talk about abortion. I talk about abortion in calm. I like make jokes about. So when I hear people screaming about cancel culture, I literally am like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> we work in the marketplace of ideas and I, and, and if people don't like your ideas or come for you because you did something, you're not canceled. If you're screaming about it on the number one podcast in America or hosting SNL or on your Netflix special, mm-hmm. you're just mad. Are you mad that people who you wish liked you don't? Are you mad at the fan base that you've cultivated? Because I'm super unclear about how you're canceled because I can't seem to escape you bitching about being canceled. <laughs> right. <laughs> I cannot seem to escape it. I open my fridge and there you are. I'm fucking canceled. I'm like, God, stop. Yeah. If you have $23 million for your Netflix special, you can buy your way out of cancellation. Mm -hmm. So just stop. And these are the same people who will so easily, I mean, not all of them, but plenty of them will so easily call other people snowflakes. And it's like, who's so (laughs) fragile right now? All the time. The only, right. The only... Uh, ramification cancel wise that's happened to you is there's articles written about it and people are mad at you. Yeah. And the people, and you're just mad about the people who are mad at you. And also, you know, it, it, I couldn't get booked to save my life on like the popular radio shows because the guys didn't want a feminist. Mm. I couldn't get booked on late night shows because I was a feminist. Did I sit there and bitch and get bitter? No, I just kept my head down. I did whatever I could to cultivate an audience that wanted to hear what I had to say. And, and that was great. And, and I don't, ex- I don't expect people who don't, who think I'm babe, I'm a baby murderer. To come to my comedy shows. I'm not like, why am I not selling out Madison Square Garden? You know, like, it's just dumb. It's embarrassing. So that was a deliberate choice, though, to to pursue something that you knew there would be more controversy around. And like, I guess what I'm saying is at one point, sorry, I'm going to backtrack. At one point, did you think maybe one day I'll sell out Madison Square Garden? I don't think I ever thought that mm-hmm. because I understood profoundly that society viewed a woman who decided her opinion mattered and was going to take to the stage to say it, that that was a radical act. Mm. And I knew that if I simply had opinions, and I'll tell you something else, and that was I might, we might have even talked about this the last time I was on your pod, Mm -hmm. but it was a big turning point for me. I was doing this joke in my act forever about how, um, male Great Danes should probably wear underwear in public. (laughs) And I used to say it like that. You know, I really think male Great Danes should probably wear underwear in public. (laughs) Big joke that killed. Um, all of a sudden the joke stopped working. And I was like, why is this joke not working? And then I, and then I recorded myself twice saying it. 
And what I, when I record myself, I don't listen right away. I mm-hmm. record three times and then I listen back to see what the change was. The change was instead of me saying, male great Danes should really have to wear a Norfolk. I started saying, I think male great Danes should have to wear a Norfolk. And by literally saying affirmatively, I think. So interesting. The audience didn't like that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, unless I am wholly self-deprecating, I, I've never done comedy to make people feel comfortable about my presence. And by people, I guess I mean men, because mm-hmm. that's what comedy club owners would say to me. Like, are men going to really like this? You know, I just don't know if I want to take a chance on you doing 45 minutes in front of men. Cause you know, it's just like, I, I mean, I've lived my life listening to the male experience and enjoying it tremendously, laughing really hard. Men have a funny perspective, but like, so why can't that be the same? And mm-hmm. it just couldn't. And so, you know, unless I was going to have an act and it's changed profoundly now, which I feel really excited about, you know, we've evolved where, you know, Sarah Silverman and, and Amy Schumer and Ali Wong and people who are doing really strong, amazing comedy uh, from a perspective of being a woman. And that's the other thing. I don't have another perspective. I walk the earth in the skin and in this body. So I don't have another perspective. I only mm-hmm. have my own. Yeah. Um, so tell me about feminist buzzkills. So feminist buzzkills, you know, as we started this nonprofit, the one thing that really became clear, and it's been six years now of me doing this like full time and, and is America would profoundly get upset when giant stories would happen around abortion out of Georgia or Alabama and there was never any conversations around it any other time. Like there was issues of climate or of gun violence or whatever. And so I was like, I have a, a gift or a specialty to be able to talk about topics using humor, exposing hypocrisy. And so maybe if I do a talk show that can center abortion, like just like, crazy ass misogyny looking at sort of how all this shit is percolating from the, and tell these stories from the get go. I could get people to watch. They can laugh. They can laugh at the hypocrisy. They can get a call to action to say, this was just proposed. Let's get a group of people and like maybe try to shut it down ahead of time. So it's basically a really fun talk show that has Great comedy videos, great conversations with experts and activists and researchers around this big giant topic of misogyny and abortion and all the things of sexuality all around it. And then we have comedians and musicians on who tell jokes or who are going to have conversations about the work that they're doing. So it's a 30 minute show that is, um, trying to just like talk about something that's hardly ever talked about. And why not talk about it weekly and then just let everybody know who the real people are uh, doing bad shit, giving people all the information they need and giving them some stuff that they can do to make the world a better place. And where do people find it? They can find it on the Abortion Access Front YouTube channel. And um, it's really great. It's every Thursday. It drops at four. And then uh, we have the podcast version of it, which drops on Sundays, oh, nice. wherever you get your pods. Yeah. So it's kind of nice. And then I'm doing a big ass 
if, if for your folks in the Twin Cities, I do a massive stand-up year in review show every year. This year oh, it's cool. called Bang the Dumb Slowly. So <laughs> I'm at the C- I'm at the Cedar Cultural Center the 29th, 30th, and 31st of December. So if you are in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, come check it out. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Where I know you don't want to. I'm not asking for uh, geolocation, but roughly, what neighborhood of Brooklyn are you in? I am in, uh, I am near downtown Brooklyn. Let's just say that I am very close to the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, I'm nice. sad we didn't get to our question about like, I wanted to answer the question. Oh, duh. I forgot that we didn't even get to it. Uh, are you referring to just me or everyone or are you referring to, Hey, go fuck yourself? Well, I think I go, Oh, go fuck yourself with the Supreme Court. Yeah. But is it just me or is it? Let's everyone? do just me or everyone. Yes. Sometimes I ponder. I'm glad you mentioned it because I uh, was I I totally it just slipped my mind. So that is on me. Let's hear it. So I always duck when I go into parking garages. Oh, when I think I am like going and it looks I always duck. It's so weird. Does everyone do that? When you're driving into a parking garage. Like you drive into a parking yeah. garage and it looks really low. Mm-hmm. I always duck. I, like a, or or if there's like one of those hanging things yeah. that says like, I always duck. I don't know why. Are you I in a, hit it. is your car I'm in a up? car. Well, no. no, but I mean, it's not an SUV or anything. No. Um, a Mack truck. I'm try- I don't think I do that, but I don't think you're the only one because I've been doing this segment now for a while and I'm pretty sure I've heard people mention that one. Tony, what about you? Do you duck? I'm not sure if I do or not. I know I definitely, if you're going through like a, a tight space, I'll definitely like pull my shoulders in, which makes just as, I feel like that's basically the same thing. It's basically the yeah. same thing. Yeah. That whole making your body smaller thing is yeah. super bizarre. I do a similar thing if I'm in the house and I'm trying to like get from one room to another quickly and my husband and my kids are around, I will. And again, this is a visual. So youtube.com slash Alison Rosen. I'll go like, like this. <laughs> I got to, so I'll put one hand in front of me, almost like a fin, and one behind me, like to make myself more aerodynamic. I guess it it really does nothing like that, but it's this weird like I'm gonna I'm just gonna slip on through. I'm gonna like treat this living room like a slalom course or something. So I guess we all kind of do this. So it's not I think just we you. Do. Oh, good. I feel glad that it's not just me. No, every quirk someone else does. This one we all do. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much. So oh, nice having you. you on the show. It so, was really great. It was great to meet you, Tony. So, okay. So too. big, big multiple nights in Minneapolis. We've got, uh, feminist buzzkills, abortion access front website. Um, anywhere, anything else you want to plug anywhere else they can find you, your social media? Do you want to toss that out? I mean, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Liz Winstead and I spell my name with two Z's and, and on Instagram. And I'm on Facebook too, but mostly I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Um, but yeah, and follow Abortion um, Access Front and all the socials. If you're like, you want to be up on the news, um, it's at Abortion Front. And our TikTok is hilarious. Oh, I gotta um, check it out. We have a big, big, big following on TikTok. And it's been, um, it's been a really great learning to see the great conversations that happen on TikTok on the videos. It's great. Yeah, so definitely check it out. 
TikTok, I think I was actually just thinking I'm fairly new to TikTok, but I, in general, it seems like maybe TikTok is more progressive as a whole than uh, like Twitter is not. I don't know. I think that TikTok, you can really curate like how you want your experience. Right. Because I think there's like Christian TikTok. I'm sure. Like I think there's like all the hashtags of like finding like, you know, like a friend of mine is really into urban foraging. Mm. Like that's a thing. And so there's like a whole urban forager TikTok that's like huge where people are just like following people finding weird mushrooms and like <laughs> doing their shit. And it's like that is really specific. Right. So maybe it's just what I have seen on TikTok so far. Yeah. The algorithm. Um, awesome. Follow me on social media at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure you're subscribed or following whatever it's called in the app that you are listening to so that you get automatic downloads so you don't miss an episode. Leave us a nice comment. Five stars, please. That helps out the show, helps people find the show. Tell your friends. Uh, and Tony, what about you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Tony Thaxton and buy podcast Bizarre Albums every Tuesday and uh, the Motion City Soundtrack Tour in February. Sorry, January and February. So come on out and see me and the rest of the guys for that. Excellent. Liz, thank you so much. It's great talking to you. It was so great talking to you. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? Yeah, Alison Rosen is your new best.